This is the episode for Sunday, March 26, 2023. It is not safe for work. Let's get started. Today is March 26, 2023. This is episode 34 of Sunday Morning Manga. I am Derek S. McGrath. My pronouns are he, him, his. I live stream here every Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern on Twitch and YouTube at Derek S. McGrath. A recording is available Sunday afternoons on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You can read my writing on WordPress and other sites at Derek S. McGrath. And you can email me, Derek.S.McGrath at gmail.com. Every Sunday, there is a live reaction to a new manga chapter. Today, we return to Undead Unluck and look at chapter 152. Undead Unluck is written and illustrated by Yoshifumi Tezuka, translated into English by David Evelyn, with lettering by Michelle Pang. The series is licensed in the United States by Viz, which you can read at their website, viz.com slash shonenjump slash chapter slash undead dash unluck. You can find links to Undead Unluck and other content at my website, derekesmcgrath.wordpress.com. There's also a script on my website that you can read along with while enjoying today's episode. And make sure to get vaccinated and mask up out there, people. We're not out of COVID. There are a whole lot of conventions going on, and from what I've seen, almost no one is wearing a mask. I have not found policies these conventions have about testing or air filtration or how they are protecting their attendees from COVID, and that is a damn travesty. So do what you need to do to protect your health out there by masking up and getting vaccinated. And while I monitor about things I'm not liking, if you do like what you're hearing, even me complaining like I am right now, please consider a monetary contribution. Pulling together this stream takes a bit of work and your tips help pay down costs for setup and subscriptions. One-time contributions can be sent to coffee.com slash Derek S. McGrath, and you can subscribe monthly at patreon.com slash Derek S. McGrath for early access to content. Thank you for your consideration. And speaking of content on Patreon and me complaining, right now you can get early access to my audio commentary for episode 12 of Bungo Stray Dog season 4. Short version, I didn't like the episode. If you want to skip this audio commentary, I completely get it. It's a lot of complaining. And it's complaining that being wise that Studio Bones has done a lot of great work this season. There has been a lot done that has been an excellent adaptation of the original manga and the light novels. Especially the adaptation we got this season of the Rompo and Fukuzawa light novel. And how... That light novel adaptation set up earlier the Decay of the Angel arc. It was a almost seamless transition, and I've appreciated how the anime has adapted Gogol and Ogre. Too bad Sigma didn't get that kind of an adaptation. 
this episode broke me, and it's not even that I'm upset that the episode cut content. It's that I think Studio Bones cut the wrong content. This episode, to work on its own, ignoring that it has to adapt the manga, ignoring this idea that to be good, you have to be faithful to the source material. As just a 22 or so minute episode, this episode needed three details. First, it had to explain how Lucy is getting Atushi and Kyoka to the Sky Casino. Second, it had to introduce all of Sigma's personality. And finally, it had to set up Sigma and Tachihara as two misguided people struggling to find a place where they belong. That's it. Those are the three things. Everything else has to come out of those three details. If it doesn't come from one of those, it isn't going into the episode. And yet the episode put in so much content that I don't think was useful for the purpose of those three details. I want to focus for just a moment on the last detail that you need to set up Sigma and Tachihara as being rather identical people, both misguided and trying to figure out where they belong. I mean, this is a series called Bungo Stray Dogs. Every character, almost every character, is struggling to figure out where they belong. We see Atushi and Dazai and everyone else struggling with that problem. Meanwhile, episode 12 of season 4 cut out so much content showing why Sigma is so protective of the casino, why this casino is his home, and why he is so willing to protect it. As well, they cut out Tachihara's dual identities as, well, gain into spoilers, but we'll just say he has dual identities here, or rather dual alliances. That's getting in the way of him feeling like he belongs. All of that is important. You could really improved upon the manga to say we're going to set up Sigma and Tachihara as the main characters of this episode and we're going to follow each of their tracks and how they are so similar while being on opposite sides of this conflict and I don't think the episode gave room to breathe to actually emphasize that point and it was right there you have Sigma following Tachihara on security cameras I would have loved if we had made the episode more about that instead of trying to fit in all this additional content that can't really fit in there. Studio Bones should have cut everything else but these three things. One, how Lucy gets the others to the Sky Casino. Two, how Sigma gets along with his casino customers. And finally, Tachihara's struggle. Even if this meant the anime had to cut Fukuzawa versus Fukuchi, and cut the hunting dogs, interrogating the cafe shop owner, I think you would need to cut those scenes. But they didn't, and that's what we get here, where I don't know anyone who's going to be completely pleased with this episode, where it tries to do a little bit of a lot of different things, and that means you're just getting little snippets of each part, rather than digging in deep into any one part to make it connect to the audience. This felt like disconnected scenes not approaching a cohesive episode. I get that so much of television is long-form storytelling and that also emerges out of the style of serialized comics, 
but there is something to be said in adaptation to create a solid 22-minute episode, and this wasn't it. Maybe I'm wrong on this. Do you think I'm off the mark when it comes to Boongo Stray Dogs? Let me know in the comments section, or you can email me, derek.s.mcrath at gmail.com. You can also check out this audio commentary. If you really want to sit through this whining, you can listen to it while you watch Boongo Stray Dogs on Crunchyroll. You can hear that commentary now at the $5 tier at patreon.com slash derek.s.mcrath. This audio commentary will be available for free on Tuesday on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Coffee and Patreon contributors, including Emily Lauer, Alec Roach, and Alexis Duran. I appreciate your financial support. Purchases on my Amazon wishlist are also appreciated. And if you'll indulge me to bring up one more point before we get to Undead Unlocked today... I need to talk about the next three weeks of live streams and podcasts. I may have to take a hiatus. I hope I won't have to, but if I do, it's going to be between one to three weeks. In any case, let's talk about what I had in mind for the schedule and what I'll stick to, assuming I don't have to take a break. On April 2nd, ahead of the premiere of the Mashal anime, I'll talk about its milestone chapter, 150. On April 9th, I'll talk about the new Mashal anime after its premiere, along with a not-quite-live reaction to the newest chapter of the Bungo Stray Dogs manga. Finally, on April 16th, I'm not sure yet. It'll probably be a discussion about Blue Box, or maybe Ginkka and Luna, depending on how long it lasts or if I can time it, spy family, we'll see when we get there. In any case, if I do have to take a hiatus, I will be working on other projects. If Bungo Stray Dogs goes on a break, one of those projects will be talking about how well that adaptation worked and how poorly it handled other details. And I'll be getting back to work rebooting the American Literature One survey as a video series and a podcast, so look out for that. And I will be editing previous live streams for podcast episodes. But enough about stuff in the near future, let's talk about today. And today is a live reaction to Chapter 152 of Undead Unluck. I talked before about how Undead Unluck got better for me because it was able to do a soft reboot without negating what came before. What do I mean by that? In the manga, we get to see Fuko has restarted the timeline, only this time she's repeating the backstories of our up-to-now largely underdeveloped antagonists, and we get to see how they became antagonists but she gets to intervene and help them solve their problems before they went into villainy, and by solving their problems, she can now recruit them for her mission. It's actually kind of intricate, this almost JoJo-like kind of a plot where you are repeating what came before and making variations on it, only this time I actually like the results. I know that sounds dickish towards JoJo, so let me explain. I get why David Pro was chosen for the anime adaptation of End 
Undead Unlock, which is now scheduled for October 2023. I think it's in part because David Pro is already familiar with what's going to happen in Undead Unlock. That kind of intricate plotting is something that is part of JoJo, where one thing in the plot can undo another thing, and then that one thing leads into another thing. It's timelines. It's about powers that negate and transform other powers. It's figuring out how do we fit this into a series of episodes and make it serialize and have it make sense to the audience. David Pro knows how to do that from JoJo so they can do that in Undead Unluck. It's probably also why they got hired to do the adaptation for Fire Force given its timeline shenanigans. Only JoJo and Undead Unluck are actually good at pulling off those kind of timeline shenanigans, and Fire Force is Fire Force. And there I go being dickish again. So, why do I say that Undead Unluck is like JoJo, only I like what I'm getting in Undead Unluck more? It's pretty much just superficial. It's just the visuals. I appreciate Hirohiko Araki as being groundbreaking in storytelling, in paneling, in art design, for what he has done for queerness, in fashion, in art, in design. And yet, there is a quality to JoJo that leans closer to a type of comic book artwork that I'm not quite a fan of. Arki's artwork is so linear, so angular, so sharp. It's like something out of Initial D, only at least JoJo looks appealing. Initial D is still one of the most unappealing sets of character designs I've ever seen. Undead Unluck, I think, gets the best of both worlds. It gets to have the intricate plotting of a JoJo, but it's cuter. It's got rounder character designs. If I were to risk reducing this to a binary... We have Arki's Jojo over on one side of this pole, while Undead Unluck is closer to this other pole, that pole being the later instances of Dragon Ball as drawn by Toriyama and Toyotaro. I want to look for an example in chapter 145. I don't have the image on screen, but... Pull up chapter 145 of Undead Unluck at the Viz website. Look at what they did with Void Volks. The last time I did a live stream, a live reaction to Undead Unluck was the Void Volks fight. And Void is supposed to be this brash, in-your-face boxer who thinks he can beat anyone in a fair match. And then he's listening to Fuko after she wins the match. He's listening to her talk about how they're all from good timelines and that she saved them from bad timelines where things went really bad. And now she's about to unlock a superpower that will let them remember previous timelines, which means having to face a lot of tragedy. And Void's face just collapses in the most subtle way. And I know that's a weird description. How can you collapse subtly? There is something that the artwork communicates where Void hears about this awful timeline 
and despite all his toughness and his bluster, the art is able to give him this look. It softens his eyes. It softens his cheeks. His frown looks far more concerned. He looks more like a little kid, like he's hearing something. That's not to make him look immature, but to make him look vulnerable. And that takes a lot of work to take this very tall, muscular boxer who in other timelines has been able to kill in the rain that he now looks like his world has been shattered hearing this news. It makes you sympathetic to him. It makes you sympathetic and makes you realize what Fuko must have felt the first time she met him, that this is someone who had a grim future and now she's rescued Void and Void's having to hear all of this and his entire bluster just collapses in just one panel that's just him listening intently. There isn't major action happening and just the slight alteration in his character model in those eyes, that softness communicates so much. Maybe I'm overreading that panel. It's not like you can't pick up almost any panel of JoJo and find so much intricacy and complexity and characters and the emotions being felt. But sometimes you want a softer face. You want a more cartoonish face because maybe that's communicating an emotion better for you. I don't know what to do with this, so maybe it would be easier to just recap what has happened in the plot of Undead Unluck so far. And yeah, that's saying something. Analyzing the complexities of a character's emotions is too complicated. Let's try to unpack the timeline shenanigans in this sci-fi story. That would be so much easier. So what has been going on in Undead Unluck? Once again, I'm at a loss, and it's why I bring up at least the artwork is cute as my defense. If the artwork didn't hold up, I don't think I would want to reread these chapters, but let's recap just the art we're in right now. After the boxing match against Boyd Volks, and now having recruited Boyd, Fuko moves on to the next goal, which is retrieving that superpower called Remember. And Remember will let the characters access the previous timelines, learn from their mistakes, and figure out how they save existence in this timeline. Unfortunately, the superpower Remember is in the middle of a battlefield. And that means Fuko and company had to stop that war. And to stop that war, they had to stop the soldiers fighting... And it just happens that the three people in that war are three enemies they've confronted in a previous timeline. And it just so happens they need to recruit those three to get their next plan to work. So coincidentally, they can access the Remember Superpower and also recruit these three former enemies onto their side. Three soldiers are named Billy, Tella, and Creed. This arc can risk getting into the glorification of war. Kind of hard not to when you have Greed looking like Guile from Street Fighter, but with more scar lines. Which, this glorification of war. We just came off of the 20-year anniversary of the United States invasion of Iraq. So, 
no, I'm not about to fucking glorify war in this bullshit right now. So, if I don't want to see something glorifying war, what is Undead Unluck going to do to handle a war arc? Are they going to pull it off well? Honestly, I don't think they're doing it very well. It's kind of hard to have a happy ending in a war arc. It's hard to make everything about the traumas of war fall away with a character who just gives you a motivational speech. That being said, it's making some attempts. We see Billy and Tella as two characters with disabilities. One of them is blind, one of them is now mute. It's not treated exactly as... I'm trying to use my words carefully here. I don't want to call it that we're making disability into torture porn. We are facing that problem of how do you represent the trauma of losing an ability and how do you show being able to continue as your accessibility needs change. If there's any strength to this work, Billy as a character who is blind is someone who shows here's how accessibility changes. Tella loses his voice in this same arc. Having Billy there allows Tella to adjust far more quickly to this change in his life. It's the story trying to have it both ways. We are showing that here is how accessibility can work in a world where people are willing to make things more accessible for people. But here is Tella showing the immediacy of you just suffered an injury. Now what do you do? But there's something else this arc is doing that I think is far less effective. This is getting into G.I. Joe territory. This is action figure fighting. I mean, like I said, Creed looks like a guile character from Street Fighter. This looks like an action figure character. It's a very stylized version of war. And then when you add in the superpowers, it moves from a war arc into a sci-fi arc. We're now moving into what is the difference between the original G.I. Joe doll to the G.I. Joe action figures made during the 80s and 90s where it's not actual military, it is a superhero comic book iteration of a fictional military. It's not the worst thing if we treat this story as shonen or as just an action film or as silly comics. I mean, heck, there is a reason why I think people still cheer on punching Nazis in stories, like in that Justice League movie, The Savage Time. They're Nazis. Fuck them. They deserve to get punched. You get behind that. But this is all a reflection of the world we live in. Even a silly comic that is just showing a fictional war is a silly comic being read in a time of perpetual warfare around the world. I can't get behind this arc in that regard. This is less an arc that is doing Nazi punching and it's more of an arc that is a giant G.I. Joe episode. It's a G.I. Joe war. It doesn't speak to me as saying something new about the world we're living in. 
it is a story that treats war as just a giant superhero fight, which I'm not going to say doesn't have its place in entertainment. And you're stuck having to figure out how do I simultaneously read Undead Unluck as a reflection of the world we're in, but also as just mindless entertainment meant as a distraction from the world we live in. If there are other complaints I can make about this arc, the pace is a little bit rushed. We're shown very quickly Fuko recruiting additional members before we even get to her facing off against Billy, Tella, and Creed. It's not entirely off-panel, off-page for all of these, but given how swiftly we're going from chapter 145 to 151, yeah, that's enough characters that, at least for me, it felt like it got lost in the shuffle. On rereading, that gets mitigated because you're paying more attention. I do appreciate one chapter showing how Fuko managed to recruit the character Yusei so easily. And it does expose the opposite of what I just said has been good about Tozuka's artwork. I had said Tozuka's really good at these round character faces, but then you get Yusei showing up, and I look at Yusei, and I'm having difficulty differentiating her from all the other characters, men and women, between the hairstyle and the face trying to place... Wait, Yusei isn't Andy, so I'm getting a little lost. And I know it's like, how could you confuse Yusei and Andy? They're completely different body types. We also see Andy at enough other times in the timeline at you could show me certain artwork and I would sit there thinking, oh, that's Andy when he's younger instead of realizing, no, that's a completely different character. Given that David Pro is coming out with more and more artwork ahead of the October 2023 anime premiere, maybe this will be offset by the anime once you add hair colors and other stylistic details because, you know, in a black and white manga, I'm going to struggle to differentiate certain characters unless I'm paying far more attention, and that's on me, to differentiate body type, hair, facial feature differences. That being said, we're also then introduced in this arc, or rather reintroduced in this arc to the character Sean, and even Sean starts to blend in with other characters. But at least Sean gets his own chapter, and it's a really decent one. It's a meta commentary about side characters in Shonen and having to justify how do you take this Yamcha of a character and make him relevant to the plot while still keeping him very pathetic, but also uplifting him to say, yeah, he's pathetic, but he also knows his place and he will come through for what we need him for. Just don't expect more than what you're offering him as a task. There is also the other detail that I'm toying with in this arc, that being Fuko still needs these new recruits who are in this war, those three characters, Billy, Tella, and Creed. Fuko still needs these three characters to manifest their abilities. Their abilities only manifest by suffering from tragedies. And yeah, this becomes that complexity of we're representing Tella becoming a mute as a tragedy that's complicated because on the one hand, having an abrupt change to your life can become a traumatic experience 
for me to call that a tragedy and for the story to imply what gives these three characters their abilities are tragedies is a lot to take in. And Fuko's having to play out the timelines. Hela has to go mute. Creed has to see his own fellow soldiers dying. But then Fuko's able to do a cheat and step in to overcome the tragedy immediately. It becomes a strange response to what trauma feels like. Let me try to clarify. Creed has to see his fellow service members die. That needs to happen. He needs to see it, and that manifests his superpower. But just because he sees it doesn't mean it actually happens. Creed sees something, thinks, oh god, all of my colleagues are dead, and then that manifests his ability. Then the smoke clears, then he sees Fuko and company block the attack, and that prevented any one of Creed's colleagues from dying. Creed experiences the trauma, but it didn't actually happen. Trauma doesn't have to exist from something tangible happening. Trauma can be, you thought this was going to happen, and you can't shake off the fact that it didn't happen. This arc is saying a lot about the unreality of mental and emotional health care. And I don't mean that mental and emotional health care don't exist. I mean that mental and emotional health care sometimes has to respond to something that you were terrified was going to happen. And then it didn't happen. And how do you adjust after that fear? This is wish fulfillment. That's not necessarily bad, at least within the confines of a work of fiction. I mean, we already saw the dark timeline. We already saw these characters suffered. We're not ignoring that happens. We're not ignoring that is a reality for people. But why can't you be allowed a victory? Why can't you have a victory where Fuko is allowed to permit a tragedy to unfold before revealing no the tragedy was averted but the shock didn't wear off and now you have to live with how do you deal with that shock think of it like a near car crash you didn't collide no one got hit no property damage no damage but you nearly got into a car crash you're not going to get over that fear about what was going to happen you were going to collide. You're not going to get over that. You didn't hit the other car. The tragedy was averted. No one hurt. No one injured. No one died. But you still experience a tragedy. And it's a tragedy within your own mind. You experience tragedy, but avoided the consequences. The best of both worlds, so to speak. You get to learn from a near miss. You get to learn from... This could have happened badly. Thank goodness it didn't. You get to experience a dark timeline that you now remember. And hopefully now you can learn from those mistakes and not let it happen again. Where does that place us now in this manga? Tella has lost his ability to speak in here. Negating all forms of communication to get to him or out of him. 
And now we have gunplay where Fuko is this close to successfully recruiting Billy and Tella, only for Billy to reveal he has another condition before he will join up with her team. If Fuko manages to shoot him anywhere and land the shot, he'll join up. But Fuko will lose if Billy manages to shoot Fuko in her right ear, and yeah, that's too much gunplay for me to want to sit through today. And that's going to make this a difficult read in between the very problematic representations of disability and living with it, coupled with, okay, how are we going to do gunplay in this chapter? I don't know, but I've rambled long enough. We need to get to this live reaction and see how Fuko and Billy make out in their duel. This is chapter 152 of Undead Unluck, written and illustrated by Yoshifumi Tozuka, translated into English by David Evelyn, with lettering by Michelle Payne. The series is licensed in the United States by Viz. You can read it at their website, viz.com slash shonenjump slash chapter slash undead-unluck. We're already starting our first page with the problem of the United States. We have glamorized gunplay the Old West for so long that it just creates this toxic image internationally. The silver lining in all this is that at least other countries have very careful gun laws to minimize the number of mass shootings something the United States should be doing but isn't, hence one of main reasons why we keep having more and more gun violence in this country. In any case, we have our cover of Undead Unluck. I so badly want to say this is trying to look like Trigun, especially since you can see outer space in the background in this ghost town between Fuko and Billy, each dressed up in cowboy hats. So the image is also evocative of Gun Frontier. This is chapter 152, titled Gunfight. We go to the first actual page, starting off, and it almost looks like a repetition of the exact same panel being copy and pasted, only it's not. If you look at the top panel that starts and then the bottom panel later, I'm more distracted by we're seeing Fuko taking off her boots and I haven't read the dialogue and I'm like, okay, this is a little weird as a choice of visuals. Billy is laying out that he is making this as flexible as possible for a fight that even if Fuko does get shot, as long as she can shoot Billy, then that means she will win. So it's not a, if I get shot but you also get shot, then I win. It's no. Fuko wins as long as the shot lands on him. Okay, the small text says that Fuko is taking off her boots so she won't slip. I know she has bad luck, but this seems like an inverse problem, and given that David Pro is already going to make me scream my head off over how bad Fire Force is going to end up, I'm getting bad Tamaki flashbacks right now. Fuko then suggests that maybe this won't be a fair fight seeing as Billy is blind and he is already laughing that off. 
and he insists, no, this will be fair. She, Fuko is now realizing this is a less powerful Billy than before. In the darker timeline, Billy was able to duplicate other powers. In order to avert the timeline turning out so badly, Billy can't be given the opportunity to start taking other people's abilities in order to go off on his own. He needs to coordinate with everyone else. What we now see is a flashback showing how angry Creed is. That the disc was stolen, that his teammates were left for dead, and that he's going to keep fighting until he kills every one of Billy's colleagues, which is what led to Billy's descent into darkness. We get more backstory to keep showing this is how Billy ended up where he was, how he managed to survive the war, and how he gets recruited as a mercenary. And I'm already taken out of the story because Billy is now looking at a tombstone, and the tombstone is Here Lie Veronica and Betty Alfred. Literally a Betty and Veronica joke? Are you serious? The text shows here that's the name Billy gave to his children, Betty and Veronica. Or rather, one of them is his wife and one of them is his daughter. Why would you name them Betty and Veronica? That doesn't make any sense. That one is the child and one is the mother. Why are you doing this? <sighs> okay. Billy agrees to participate because he insists he's going to save more people. This is what puts him into conflict with Fuko because both of them have the same goal. How do we save this timeline and the people in it? Fuko has what we consider to be more ethical standards. Billy doesn't care who else will die along the way to protect as many people as possible. That is that cognitive dissonance moment that you get the point that he is a end justified the means, but when you're saying that you're going to make sure that you can save people, but to do so, you're going to kill a bunch of people, that sounds like you're defeating the purpose. We get more of the flashbacks showing how Billy was able to rise within Union in order to become both the hero and the villain, the one who can cause tragedy for his teammates so that he can take their abilities because he thinks he can handle their abilities better than they can. That is something else I'm not quite satisfied with. Just this war arc, not earlier in the manga, just this arc. I'm not getting the sense yet of Billy being the I alone can fix it person, which is the problem, and I imagine his story is going to be Fuko showing him, okay, you were able to trust Tella, why can't you trust me? Why can't you work with other people? You need to stop acting like you can do this alone. That way is madness. You need to work with other people and coordinate. Otherwise, you're just going to become... I've been overusing the word fascist, but what other word do we have left in our shitty reality right now? When you're doing the I alone can fix it, what else can I call you? I mean, even Billy's rhetoric that he says... The strong will protect the weak and suffer in their stead. Billy is trying to present this as noble. He's trying to present this as, I will do the suffering. I am going to hurt more 
because I'm the one having to hurt my colleagues. No, you hurt your colleagues. Your emotions feeling bad is not as bad as what you did to your colleagues. That he has to say the world shouldn't work like this, that the strong should bear it all. I mean, there are two problems. One, who are you to say you're the one who should shoulder the weight of everyone else instead of giving them the choice? And two, you're still making them suffer so that you think you are bearing their weight. You're telling them, I'm going to take this away from you. He's taking away their abilities and acting like, I will make sure they don't have to suffer. You're making them suffer. This is a little too complicated for me to get into today, but I think a fruitful comparison would be maybe do a comparison between how Billy acts in this series compared to how Izuku just acted in the My Hero Academia anime where he's the one taking on everyone's burden and Fukuchi currently in the Bungo Stray Dogs manga acting like he's the real victim because he's taking on all the responsibility in the world while he's leading a literal vampire army to turn people into vampires and getting more and more people killed. He ends this flashback saying, then things will finally be fair. I know it's a cliche to go with Syndrome from The Incredibles, but you can hear it in there that once everyone doesn't have to suffer, then nobody suffers and then we're all equal. It's... I'm not going to engage in the bullshit you hear from people trying to act like communism, socialism bad because it makes everyone equal. It's like, no, this is a guy imposing his will on people. That is the problem. Stop acting like that is communism and socialism. Foucault refers to this as a kindness and calls it unfair. And now I got Bungo Stray Dogs again, where the soldier who kills himself in front of Yosano and says Yosano's rightness and justness were too fair, were too fair to the point it becomes unfair. I haven't looked into this with Undead Unluck, and it's such an obvious example. It's the uncanny. This is Freud saying Heimlich and Unheimlich mean the exact same thing. Isn't that weird how complete opposite words can mean the same thing? That kindness is supposed to be treating people in kind, so that would mean, oh, that's fair, and then she's pointing out, actually, that's unfair because you're imposing one standard onto everyone. That's a far more complicated linguistic challenge that I'm not going to get into in today's episode, but it's something to think about moving forward into future chapters. Foucault is doing her own narration, trying to justify Billy's actions by saying, that was in another timeline. That's what happened. That can't be changed. But this is a new timeline. Now we're going to change things. She insists she's going to cut Billy free right here and now. Awkward phrasing to say you're going to free him, but let's just keep going. And now I see why we did set up her taking off her boots. It wasn't so that she one slip that was her doing a feint on him it was so that by touching the disc directly with her body which couldn't she have just done that by touching the ground with her hands <sighs> i'm still worried this would get staged by david pro as foot fetish moments 
by touching the disc with her bare feet, it imbues the disc with her bad luck, and that affects everyone else standing on the disc, including Billy, which is now causing the disc to fall from the sky in what will be known as in the future as a nostalgia bullet. A nostalgia bullet. Okay, I'm the one who already brought up Freud a second ago, and now you're bringing up nostalgia, and then that brings up melancholia, and that requires talking about the uncanny, and I can't do all of that right now, especially when we're talking about timelines and toxic nostalgia and fandom communities, and this is too perfect, and I can't get into it all right now. So, another time, another time to go through this and see if there's something deeper to this discussion. The artwork here is incredible, seeing Billy just panicking and yelling about why is the disc tilting, but the first thing he's calling for is Tella to make sure he's okay, and the answer isn't from Tella, it's from Void, who just has this big grin on his face saying, you don't need to worry, Tella's fine. Void insists that don't worry about Tella, because when you do that, you're going to make a mistake, and you think you're going to make the world how you want to make it and void just telling billy you need to focus on yourself right now you're the one who needs to change not worrying about helping tella out so you better focus on this fight because it's going to change you billy is also having to face a philosophical difference void is ready to hold back billy from this fight and Billy's thinking, no, I'm a threat to Fuko. You should be making sure Fuko doesn't get injured. And he's having to realize none of Fuko's teammates care about her in that same way. Not because they're not concerned for her safety, but because she needs to make her own decision for herself rather than thinking she's making a decision for everyone else like Billy has done. Except I would be curious to go back through previous chapters and see, did Fuko really give any of these people a chance? Wasn't interfering with their timeline suggesting that she knew better? But that's a philosophical discussion I don't want to get into. The series up to now has done a pretty good job of letting these characters make their own decisions in the timeline. She just kind of nudged them in a different way because... She wasn't in the timeline at these moments in the past, and now she is. She's allowed her own agency to be involved in this area, and she's not coercing anyone into changing, but her intervention is changing them. Maybe this is going to run into its own risk that could be discussed another time. Are you, and forgive me for going through this, but Zach Braff is in the news again, so everyone's doing Manic Pixie Dream Girl stories in the news, so how is Fuko avoiding that, seeing that she is intervening like a fairy godparent to help people out? I mean, this, again, the manga's done a good job so far of showing, yeah, Fuko is intervening, but don't worry, she's not coercing people into changing like Billy was, so we're supposed to like her, I guess? Moving on, Billy is trying to figure out, does this mean that an ally is to let other people make their own decisions as long as you're all for the same mission, even if it's going about a way you wouldn't? If I could do it as a more grounded, quotidian example, how do you, as a supervisor, train your subordinates how do you as a boss train your employees 
how do you as a teacher teach you need to let them have independent action so that they learn from the mistakes it doesn't mean you're not responsible for making sure they don't make catastrophic mistakes but it does mean you can't be a puppet master and dominate them you have to let them act independently so all of Fugo's teammates are cheering her on even Creed is cheering her on we're seeing Billy having more and more memories of the other timeline or maybe of the current timeline and his wife is encouraging him don't worry, things will be fine, you can leave us alone, things will be okay. Okay, Veronica is his wife, Betty is the child. Veronica says, you married me, you need to have some confidence in me, you need to stop acting like you're the only one who can solve this, I can also handle things here, you're always so eager to take care of people, let us also take care of you. Billy then asks, how can you put faith in other people? and says that is what is unfair and that finally manifests his unfair ability so this not quite tragedy not quite trauma makes him realize okay that doesn't make sense and he can't figure it out so it changes his other abilities into the unfair ability i don't like that we need the narration to explain that his unfair ability has changed before, his unfair ability was that someone had to see him as hostile and then he can use his ability. Now the condition is he has to acknowledge one strength. I'm a little confused. Is it that he has to acknowledge his own strength and then he can use unfair or someone else has to acknowledge their strength and then he can use unfair himself? Does his opponent have to acknowledge their own strength, then he can use unfair? Or does Billy acknowledge his own strength, and now he can use unfair? We barely can see the shot. We see the sound effect for the bang. We see the blood spattering out of his shoulder. It's not the best paneling I would have gone for. It... And also, at the same time that the shot was fired, the disc we can see going through space, unless that's supposed to be the bullet, or it's the manga suggesting what you're seeing is both the disc going through space and the bullet. Don't bother figuring out which is which. They're the same thing. Just go with it. I don't like the staging here to show the shot that Fugo got off. I appreciate the aftermath showing her gun is smoking to indicate yeah she got the shot fired off not the best paneling here or at least not the choice i would have preferred fuko concludes by saying we don't seek strength on our own we support each other we're keeping things fair by believing in the possibilities again that still doesn't clarify it for me we don't seek strength on our own we support each other that would mean each of us has to acknowledge someone else's strength did his unfair manifest because Fuko and the others acknowledged their own strength, or did Billy acknowledge his own strength? I can't say I'm a fan of how this chapter wrapped up. It's a little more abstruse for me to figure this out, and not entirely the fault of 
the comic it's me not understanding something and it's a complicated idea that you can't really figure out always in just one quick live reaction so I look forward to seeing how the next chapters tackle this. I hope that we return to this because, yeah, this is a little too close to David Pro's bread and butter, which is, this is a really confusing idea. No, we're not going to explain it to you. We're just going to skip ahead, stop asking questions, and just appreciate that we gave you an answer. It's not our fault you didn't understand it. For right now, I'm not understanding it, but I'll wrap up here. Thank you for listening to this week's Sunday Morning Manga. What did you think of Undead Unluck? Were you able to follow what the point was of Billy's new unfair ability manifesting? Please share your thoughts in the comments section or send me an email, derek.s.mcgrath at gmail.com. As a reminder, keep your feedback respectful. We are cultivating an anti-bigotry space here. If you like what you heard, please let me know. Contributions at coffee.com slash Derek S. McGrath and patreon.com slash Derek S. McGrath are appreciated. With your contribution, please include a note to let me know what you enjoyed in the live stream and what you would like to hear more of. Remember that your contributions give you the opportunity to recommend works for me to cover each week. Let me know in the comment section or email me what you'd like me to cover. You can join other Coffee and Patreon contributors with your recommendations. These contributors include Emily Lauer, Alec Roach, and Alexis Duran. Thank you all for your support. And if you like what you heard, or didn't like what you heard, please check out Other People's Awesome Stuff. A blog roll of recommended people to check out is at my website, DerekSMcGrath.wordpress.com. Today, I want to plug Payne Apple Studio, run by voice actors and illustrators Ayu and Micah Solisod. Sign up for their Patreon to listen to their new Isekai D&D-style audio drama, Sudden Death, Sudden Life. And check out their Friday night live streams on Twitch as they play art games and draw some of your favorite characters, including ones Ayu and Solisod have played in... Fire Emblem, My Hero Academia, Servamp, and more. Links to their Patreon and Twitch are in the description. Before we wrap up, let me also plug two sales going on right now. First, Kodansha has a sale on numerous manga, including offering for free the first volume of select titles. You can read more about this sale, link is in the description. Second, Kodansha also has a sale on Attack on Titan via Humble Bundle. Link is also in the description. Disclaimer, I am not getting paid for mentioning any of this. Kodansha isn't paying me. Humble Bundle isn't paying me. I'm just sharing this information out of interest for anyone looking for free or inexpensive manga. And one more thing before we wrap up today. I mentioned last time, but don't forget, Wisconsin is having a judge election on April 4, 2023. Please read the post in the description from Paul Hogarth at Daily Coast. Learn about how you can get out the vote. It is important for elections moving forward that a responsible person sits on the court who will make sure the right to vote is protected, that votes are counted accurately, that the vote totals are not undermined by a legislature ignoring the vote count to install the candidate they want. Not to mention, we want to make sure we're not removing people from having their legal right to vote. 
please visit the link in the description about how you can help campaign ahead of this election. Next Sunday morning, let's talk about Mashal ahead of its April 7th anime premiere. We'll do a live reaction to the Milestone Chapter 150. Stay safe out there, people. Make sure to mask up, get vaccinated, register to vote, campaign against fascism, and learn and practice anti-bigotry. Until next Sunday, I've been Derek S. McGrath. You have a good afternoon. Bye. Sunday Morning Manga is intended for information and entertainment purposes only. It is not endorsed by any companies mentioned, any persons mentioned, or any financial contributors mentioned. All names, pictures, and sounds are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content is the intellectual property of the speaker, me, unless otherwise indicated. The views and opinions expressed on this live stream are those of the speaker, me, and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any other persons mentioned in this stream. Music today include the tracks titled Los Angeles by Music Production, Sunshine by Lemon Music Studio, and News Time by Monument Music. These songs are royalty-free and available at Pixabay. Links are in the description.